Welcome to Brand Saving the Planet. I'm Kelly Rogan, and this is the podcast where we talk to startup founders working to make this world a better place, to learn from their journey and help you grow your own impact startup. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, Sam. Um, so I'd love to get started and kind of hand it over to you to provide an introduction into really simply who you are, where you're located, what you're working on, and what, what you're passionate about. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for having me. Um, so my name is Sam Selby. I am a senior UX designer with an agency called Whitespace in uh, Edinburgh in Scotland. Uh, and then we're part of a much larger um, international network called Dentsu. And I've been working here for about uh, five years now. Um, before that, I, uh, I did my undergrad um, and actually high school in the United States in uh, Oregon. And um, oh, really? I've yeah, yeah, so I've um I've kind of I've done a, done a little bit of traveling, and then um I got into UX because uh, I did my undergrad in industrial design. Found that I wasn't particularly good at making furniture, um, and so I ended up uh, moving into something digital, which is much more forgiving. Um, and uh, that was I kind of did a little bit of research, and then after that, specifically did some more projects on UX. I've been doing that for the last five years, and then um. I got into the kind of sustainable web design stuff. Um, I read uh, a really, really good book uh, by a guy called uh, Tom uh, Greenwood, I believe his name is, and he wrote a book called Sustainable Web Design um, through a book apart, which they, and they do some fantastic publications. Uh, and he kind of gave an intro as to what it was and why it mattered and the impact that it has. And, and since then, um, yeah, it's become, it's become something of a, um, uh, of a passion for me um, in addition to the fact, I mean, I've always been kind of uh, into green stuff. I did uh, a couple of years ago. I went for a whole year without buying anything new, which was quite good fun. Um, it's just like really? a personal experiment. Um, and then uh, I did a little bit with Extinction Rebellion um, when they had one of their big uh, kind of Occupy, not London, not the first time, but the second time. So I camped outside of uh, Westminster Abbey. So um, yeah, that's, that, that's me in, in a bit of a nutshell. Um, but yeah, the eco-friendly thing has been a large part of my life for a good few years now. And I'm, I'm really happy to have been able to find a way to uh, express that in a professional setting as well. Yeah, I think there's a big movement of people really trying to, because in the end, I feel like really every single career, I mean, I feel like from lawyers to accountants to, you know, to furniture, I feel like everyone can apply their skills to helping, you know, make this planet a better place. So an interesting that you had mentioned furniture, I actually feel like it does make sense. It's kind of like a physical user experience, right? Now you're taking it to the digital setting. So oh, totally. interesting. So, and in terms of like making, you know, sustainable web design, I still, I think that this is really still a topic that is really up and coming. I think sustainability in general, right? People kind of think about, you know, not using plastic bags and things, but the amount of time, you know, all the, the, even like watching Netflix, you know, does have a carbon footprint. So mm-hmm. how, um, in terms of sustainable web design, you know, how would you kind of summarize that in, in a short term? And then we'll dive into the, the specific bits between hosting and design, UX, all of that. Yeah, totally. I mean, it is, it, you're absolutely right. It's kind of a weird um, topic that you wouldn't necessarily think about, right? How does code impact my, my carbon footprint? I mean, it's clear, you know, when you, when you drive a car or when you buy something new, like this, there's physical impacts. And so it kind of makes sense, but code is a bit of a weird one. So I guess, to put it um, in, re- in really broad terms, so whenever you um, store data or send data or load data onto a device like a laptop or a mobile phone, 
all of that uses electricity. So whether that's the place that's kind of hosting your servers, which is where your website lives, um, or the telecommunications networks that send your a website from uh, a, a host to your phone and then actually loading it up on your phone, all of that uses electricity, um, which is ultimately what what kind of um, where the greenhouse gas and where the emissions comes from. Because actually, I mean, believe it or not, the web uses about one percent of the world's electricity um, and contributes mm. about four percent of the world's greenhouse gas emissions so it's like it's a really big thing and as you say i mean every i think a lot of people can attest to the fact that we've all been watching quite a bit more netflix over lockdown so it is it, it does actually form a really big part of our lives and as it continues to grow um we need to make sure that it's not having an oversized impact on the planet so mm -hmm. in terms of like how you actually get to be um, sustainable web design, and I'll talk about lots of the methods kind of in a bit more detail, um, but we look at uh, where websites are hosted, um, how we send them across networks, um, and how we actually build them in order to make all of that more efficient and therefore uh, have less of an, uh, of an impact um, at the end result. Okay, amazing. And so can we kind of break it off into like specific examples of like, you know, starting from the hosting, which I think everyone everyone understands, um, and then into even in design, like I know, from my basic knowledge, I think you know I know that there's certain things like video that's just heavier on the website that would take longer to load, right? That affects SEO negatively, and then I assume would also maybe have a larger carbon footprint. So how how can you you know if you have to have a web you know video on your website or you know specific more or less design requirements, how can you do that in a more sustainable way? Totally. So I guess there's a few there's a few things. And I think maybe first it's worth going over a kind of quick explainer maybe of, of how the internet works in general, because it's always it's always useful. That so is, you know what, I still think uh, it's magic. <laughs> it's, so so if you imagine if you imagine um, uh, checking out a library book, well the internet actually works very similarly. So if you go to a library, um, you you go to the to the front desk. You say, "Hey, can I have um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory?" And they'll go, "Okay, yeah, like, we'll we'll go and look in the back." Um, and then once they find it, um, they'll they'll bring it back to you. Uh, and then you get Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and you get to read it. That's actually very similar to to how kind of we we do stuff on the internet. When you type in catpajamas.com onto your phone, uh, your phone then sends out a signal, much like you going to a library um, to the rest of the internet saying, hey, who's got catpajamas.com? Um, and then there's kind of a big search to see uh, where it is, and then it gets sent back to your phone. But as you can imagine, there are a few different kind of uh, points along that journey where um, things can take more time um, or load more slowly. So um, the first one to think about um, is when you're actually going to that library, if the library is really far away from you or the book Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is all the way in the back of the library, things take a long time to get to you. Now, the internet mm -hmm. equivalent of that is if you have a web host, if your hosting provider is far away from your end users, then that physical distance that a signal has to travel, um, it takes a lot longer. Now, that's, that's kind of... Um, unfortunate for two reasons. Um, the first one is obviously that that actually takes longer for uh, the page to load, which as you say, impacts negatively on your SEO um, and impacts negatively on your user journey. But also that distance um, it requires more energy for the actual um, information, whether it's a website or a book to actually travel. So, so that's kind of one of the, one of the first things that, that, we, that we think about. And I'll talk about some methods as to how you can uh, solve that problem later on. Another thing that you can think about is um, the actual size of the thing that you're trying to get. So Charlie and the Chocolate Factory um, is, you know, it's a nice, small, compact book. It's easy to read, easy to carry and move around. 
But if you are asking your librarian for a uh, set of 12 volumes of an encyclopedia, that would take a lot longer to get because they're big and heavy and clunky and would, would use a lot of energy to, to, uh, to carry over to you. Um, the same is exactly true on the website. The more stuff that you have on a web page, um, the more uh, energy is required to get it from the server to your end device. And again, that uses more electricity, so it, it becomes uh, less efficient and less sustainable. And again, it's also slower. So those are some, so I guess thinking about that analogy, you can then start to think about what the solutions are to those problems. So um, one of the things that you can do is to move your uh, hosting provider or your or kind of a, or a copy of your website closer to your end users. And the way that the way that is typically done um, is called a content delivery network or a CDN. And essentially what that does is it takes a copy of your website and it puts it a little bit closer to your end users. So it distributes it on servers all of the way around the world. So if you have a user in the UK and a website in China, you're not sending a signal from China to the UK. Actually, what you're doing is taking a copy of that website in China, putting it in, say, France, and then the user is only ever going from the UK to France to get that, um, to get that connection. Or if, again, if you think about it in the library example, that might be like the librarian putting 10 copies of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory all of the way around the library so that no matter where you are in the library, there's always a good copy to hand. So that's, mm -hmm. so that's, that's kind of one example. Um, another thing I guess that you can do, and maybe thinking, taking again a little bit of a step back um, before you start on the whole journey of how to make your website more efficient, is actually to do a bit of a benchmark of, of how it's doing at the moment. Um, and so there are some really useful tools, and, and I'm sure we can provide links in, in the show notes of the podcast um, as to how you can do this. Mm -hmm. um, and the two, the two tools are WebsiteCarbon.com and EcoPing, so that's E-C-O-P-I-N-G. And what these tools do is they, um, you, you just type in your website URL um, and then it runs through a little bit of a speed check and, or it's not a speed check, it's a sort of efficiency check. And it then spits out a number and tells you how much carbon um, is being uh, emitted every time a user actually loads that page. And so that's a really useful way of gauging how you're doing at the moment and then where you can improve because otherwise you might implement all of these changes and, and not actually know whether it's made a big difference. So I'd always definitely start with, um, start with doing a benchmark. Uh, the next thing you can do um, is actually looking at uh, the energy that your hosting provider is using. So going back to that, uh, to, to my library analogy again, keeping the lights on in a library and keeping the, the kind of the books at a nice temperature so that they don't, um, they don't uh, get messed up, that uses electricity. Again, exactly the same is true of a hosting provider. So it takes about as much electricity to keep the lights on as it does to keep your servers cool. Um, and actually some of the biggest uh, data centers in the world use about as much electricity as Salt Lake City in Utah. So there's like, you can imagine that they're sucking up a whole lot of power. So what you want to make, uh, what, you, what you want to make sure is that your hosting provider is run, uh, is running on entirely or mostly green energy, right? And there are, there are some easy ways that you can do this. Um, so one of them is to check, there's another really useful website called the Green Web Foundation. And you can go on that website and find your hosting provider and see whether or not they are actually um, accredited. The other thing that you can do is actually just go and ask them and just say, hey, who, who is providing your electricity? Um, where is it coming from? Because uh, that, that kind of storage where your website lives, that is a huge, huge part of your, um, your overall carbon footprint. So that's kind of in terms of storage and a little bit in terms of the kind of transferring data across a network. 
Um, but as you mentioned, the other really big part of this is actually how much data you're transferring, how big that book is, um, how much how much is getting is getting moved around. And so there are lots of different um, there are lots of different ways that you can tackle this problem. The first one, um, as you mentioned, is to look at video. So video is is a big part of the internet and streaming. It does take a lot of energy, but what you can do is make sure that you're using a hosting provider that has sort of good green credentials. Um, from what I have seen, and I think the jury's out a little bit on this one, um, YouTube is a little bit better than Vimeo um, because YouTube is owned by Google. Google actually does have pretty good um, uh, green credentials. And also, I guess you're leveraging their compression abilities, which are going to be much greater than something like an embedded uh, player that comes out of, say, WordPress or Craft or any other CMS. So that's, that's one thing you can do with video. Another thing is, is also just to make sure that you're not using it unnecessarily. So sometimes we like to have like really cool, um, uh, what's the word, uh, really cool kind of like introductory videos or kind of flashy things happening, happening in the background. Um, you want to make sure that those are only being served to users that actually have the capabilities. So like making sure that they're not being served on mobile, for instance. Um, another mm -hmm. thing to do is make sure that they are actually providing some purpose to the users. Because ultimately, again, if, that's, if that makes your website slow down a little bit, that can really impact both their experience and ultimately your conversion. Um, I think I read somewhere the other day that an increase in 0.1% in what is it, a tenth of a second can reduce conversion by something like 6%. So if you imagine that that's happening over um, potentially on an e-commerce site, that can really have an impact. So yeah, using, using video intentionally and then also making sure you're leveraging uh, some of the kind of larger platforms ability to uh, host it and compress it in a, in a kind of efficient way. Another one, another one is imagery. So obviously, uh, images, uh, photos, uh, illustrations all make for a nice, rich, interactive web experience. And you definitely want to have um, visuals on your website because they help to drive engagement. Makes perfect sense, right? But they also are really big in terms of file sizes. So there's a few different things that you can do. Again, just like Im uh, just like videos, make sure that you're not just putting them in a bunch of different places just because they just because they look nice make sure that they mm -hmm. are kind of used intentionally and that you have um uh yeah and that you're not trying to overload uh the, the kind of the page with them another thing that you can do is make sure that you're always compressing images before you upload them there's some really good uh tools out there um image optim is one of them uh tiny png is another one um mm -hmm. where you can uh, as i say make sure that you know, before you actually upload them to your website they're nicely compressed um so they're not really big files and then another thing you can do if you're actually still in the stage of designing your website is to think about what kind of images you like so different image styles will have uh different um i guess file sizes um, with them. So you can imagine if you look at the photograph behind me, this is a beautiful, nice detailed photograph. Um, it's probably going to be a pretty big image because um, there's a lot of detail there. However, mm -hmm. if we were to take uh, the same image and actually make it in an illustration style where we used um, fewer colors and kind of bigger blocks, uh, we could potentially get that image to be a lot smaller. So you could always potentially challenge your designer to say, hey, actually, why don't you consider maybe not using photographs or, or trying to find an illustration style that's going to be, um, that's good, that we can get to a really nice um, small file size. So those, are, those mm -hmm. are some things that you can do in terms of images as well. Um, let's see, what else is there? 
Another thing that you can actually do is, is think about the typefaces that you use, so the fonts. Um, mm -hmm. Again, when you're designing a website, um, we have we a lot of the time we like to use nice, uh, different decorative uh, typefaces because those really give your brand um, a particular look and feel and can obviously convey um, a kind of a, a particular style or tone of voice. And that's that's fantastic. But at the same time, sometimes there's lots of hidden stuff in type files that you don't actually need. So, uh, mm. for instance, you might be loading a type file that has five or 10 different languages in it um, when actually your website is only ever going to be served in one language. So what you can do is get your designer. Yeah, I know. It's, it's crazy, right? Um, so what you can do is get a designer to um, have a look through the type file. There's a, again, there's another service called uh, Font Squirrel that's quite good. Um, and you can go through and actually remove the unnecessary characters so that you're just serving it in, again in the most, uh, in the most efficient way. Um, what about those I mean, that do have different languages? Like, is there a way, you know, that, for example, if, if you have an IP address in Spain, for example, then you only get it in Spanish, and would that then be more sustainable or, or have the option to click through? Is there a way? So this is, this is a really interesting one. I was actually chatting with another developer friend about this. Um, I think in theory, the answer would be yes, because ultimately what you're doing is choosing to serve a typeface um, based on, I guess it would be, yeah, based on an IP address. Now, I guess typically, um, I think that would involve loading up a different style sheet. So I think it gets a bit technical, but in theory, yes, mm -hmm. what you could do is have two different files for two different audiences. <clears throat> I guess it's it's not exactly the same, but um, something that's also similar that, that we sometimes do with images is um, if you imagine when you're loading a web page um, on a laptop, it's obviously at a different aspect ratio, right? You've got a big wide rectangle mm -hmm. um, versus if you have a, a, a like a, a mobile device, which is kind of long and tall. And so a lot of the times uh, when we design websites, we might have nice big landscape images on desktop, but actually when they get to mobile, we make them long and tall instead. So mm -hmm. what we do in order to make that process more efficient is rather than take that big image and then just crop it down so that we're only showing kind of the middle rectangle, we actually um, upload a different image with a kind of different aspect ratio mm -hmm. and say, when a user is accessing on desktop, load one image. When they're accessing on mobile, load a different image. And again, that's mm -hmm. one of those kind of efficiency tricks that you can do um, to reduce the page size. And again, especially on mobile, it becomes like a really big uh, it becomes a particularly uh, important issue because people might be on, um, you know, kind of different data providers or they might not have particularly quick phones and, and so on. So, yeah, that's another thing that you can do. Okay. So in terms of, you know, looking at all of the different aspects, once, you know, a company does take those steps and starts to improve, you know, they actually become proud of their their, their their hopefully offset, um, you know, carbon footprint, how do mm -hmm. you suggest the communication of this? Is there, you know, I feel like in the end, you know, there are certain certifications like B Corp, but is there anything like that for a website or kind of what, what are you seeing as like a really credible way to share this information? Totally. So I guess there's a few different ways of doing it. And, and again, it's always worth saying up front that as a company, you want to be really careful not to, uh, come across as kind of greenwashy because people can, mm -hmm. and I think more often are becoming um, more often are becoming aware of of how to kind of catch people out. And it's and I know that consumers can 
react really negatively to, to greenwashing. So in terms of things that you can actually do, um, the first one is to uh, just, I guess, talk about your current emissions. So if you've done a benchmark, you can go, okay, we started out at seven grams of carbon per page. We've now got this down to three grams. So that's, that's a really easy, very measurable, very clear thing that you can say to your users. Um, and actually one of the things that I think website carbon does is it also tells you where, roughly speaking, where you rank in terms of the rest of the internet. So I think it'll say, it'll give you a score that says um, you are emitting seven grams of carbon. This is worse than 60% of the internet. So once you've done that benchmark and you get to a good place, you can then say we've made this reduction. And also we are, you know, according to website carbon, we are now in, in this, uh, we are now in this percentile. We're in the top 20% of websites. Another thing that you can do that's also offered through them is there's a little um, JavaScript kind of badge that you can stick in your website footer that says, this is how much carbon is generated by this particular page. So that's another nice kind of clear thing that you can do to communicate it. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other thing that I would personally recommend, um, and I'm starting to kind of see this more often um, and, and certainly recommending it to, to my clients is to begin um, thinking about having a sustainability page on your website in the same way that you have a privacy page and an accessibility page and a cookie page. And again, mm -hmm. what that kind of a page would consider would be um, what your emissions are at the moment, uh, where you started from, and if you had a benchmark so you can show improvement, um, how you went about measuring those, uh, those emissions, what you did to reduce them, um, and then what else you're working on as a brand to be more sustainable. I think what's important is, is to, to uh, take into account that digital sustainability is fantastic. I highly recommend it. Um, and I think we should all be doing it, but it should be happening within the context, hopefully, of kind of looking at sustainability holistically from your business point of view. You know, if you're an e-commerce business, uh, what kind of packaging do you use? What kind of returns policy do you have? Are you selling things that are actually sustainable? And so on and so forth. So I think... Um, Looking at uh, measuring your website, having that little counter there, um, looking at a sustainability page, um, and then, uh, as I say, looking at how you're doing sustainability in the rest of your business and maybe providing a little bit of information on that as well. Absolutely. We just um, actually recorded a podcast a couple of days ago with um, an investor from a sustainability VC fund, and they talked a lot about the whole idea where you know everything you do has an impact and so you can't just look at one little micro thing you have to look at the the global impact um and it's interesting how you mentioned that it, it's a good idea to kind of put in map out where you've come where you're at and where you're going in terms of sustainability because not we all have a carbon footprint right every mm -hmm. single day there's no we're living breathing creatures either <laughs> we have to live and survive and do things but I think that education piece and kind of inspiring other other businesses and other just individuals to take action is really something that kind of ends up to be your full environmental impact. And I and I listened to to a podcast. I feel like every time I record a podcast, I mention this <laughs> podcast. Um, <laughs> the How to Save a Planet by Gimlet Media. They're they're amazing. Oh yeah, love uh, it. And they're, not, and they're not paying me for this. I swear. <laughs> They're amazing, but they kind of talk about the real environment impact we have sometimes can be the sharing, right? That communication mm -hmm. piece of actually like that, you know, snowball effect. So I think that's kind of one of our next topics to, to move into is how much environmental impact can it really have, right? What is that like final end of the day impact? Um, you touched on some really interesting points there, just in terms of, I guess, the impact that you have and also maybe the reason that you're doing this, is that, I guess, there are, and there are a few really good things to, 
I guess, few really good benefits to consider when you're actually trying to make your website more sustainable. I mean, the first one is fantastic. You've made your website more sustainable. You're reducing your impact. Um, the other thing is that the, the kind of a lot of the tips and tricks I've mentioned, and there are, there are plenty more that I've, um, that I've written about are, and, and have kind of talked on, those actually make for a better website experience. Ultimately, they make your website faster. They're, they're the kind of the, the best practices for building good websites anyway. So, so they're better for your users. Um, and then the other thing is actually just when you start to talk about um, being a sustainable brand, these are the types of, um, we, I guess we're just seeing overall in, in the business world, people are moving in that direction. So um, from a customer point of view, 66% of customers will pay more for green goods mm. over normal ones. Um, there, I think in the UK, it's something like one third of employees will move to a job that is better for the planet and they will even take a pay cut for it. Um, yep. And then the other really, the, the other one of my other favorite uh, quotes to mention is there's a guy called Larry Fink, who is the CEO of BlackRock, which is um, the biggest asset manager in the world. You know, they manage something like $8 trillion of assets. So it's an insane amount of, um, insane amount of, of money across companies. So he knows what he's talking about. And he was saying as of 2020 that the companies that they manage, that they're seeing um, perform the best are the ones that are driven by some kind of purpose. And oftentimes that's a social impact thing. So, um, and sustainability is one of the big things. So um, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of benefit to um, from a, from a kind of business point of view, as well as a planet point of view um, for actually implementing sustainable web design practices. Um, but you were actually, your original question though, was uh, what, how much of an impact can it have? And so there's a, there's a quite a nice um, case study that I like to share. And it's probably been shared uh, quite a lot, at least within the sustainable web community. There's a guy called Danny Van Kooten, who's a developer, I believe, in the Netherlands. And he uh, built a uh, he built an email plugin for WordPress websites. Um, so if you send emails um, through a service called MailChimp, um, I believe he was the one that actually wrote that plugin. And what he did over lockdown was he said, hey, how can I how can I reduce my impact? Um, and because this plugin is actually used on a whole bunch of websites, he said, well, if I can make this more efficient every time it's loaded on the website, um, then I will uh, reduce my impact a little bit. So he took out 20 kilobytes worth of JavaScript, which is basically nothing. It's a few lines of code. Um, and mm -hmm. as a result of doing that, because that, uh, because that code, that plugin is used um, many, many, many times every day, he ended up saving something like 3,000 kilos of uh, of carbon every month, which to put it in perspective is the same as flying to, uh, flying from New York to Amsterdam five times. So that's, he saved five flights yeah. a month, every month, um, just from doing what is effectively a tiny change. So if you imagine that you have a website that's visited by a few hundred or a few thousand people every month, these small changes actually add up. And the benefit is you only have to do them once for them to have a really lasting mm -hmm. impact. So. I would definitely, definitely consider if, if, if you run your website um, or you have some power to affect change, these are things that you really can do that do have a measurable, measurable impact, um, not only from kind of an efficiency point of view, but as you said um, earlier, Kelly, it's about uh, uh, kind of communicating the fact that this is something that you're mm -hmm. interested in and becoming part of a, a kind of a voice in that movement. Um, when I was uh, when I was doing Extinction Rebellion, one of the things that they liked to talk about was the fact that it takes, and I think they said it was like, if you can get 3% of a population on board about anything, then you have a movement and it starts to actually tip. Yeah. 
the tip the balance. And I certainly think that we're getting to that 3% globally, um, but certainly adding your voice on this particular issue again um, will start uh, to affect change both now and, and hopefully in the future. Absolutely. I think that's the key. You know, the way you described it, I think, was perfect is that we need to, and I think this has been a challenge, and, and actually we, we just reshared something um, today talking about how the, like, propaganda and the whole communication around climate change, around sustainability needs to change, because it's not about saving the animals and, you know, all, the, all these poor little innocent animals. It's about saving ourselves, right? And, and, it, and it is possible. It's like, if we, if we just you know, start that movement and it becomes this massive snowball effect. So I think it really is like changing that. And that brings me to my next my next question that we're starting to ask in every podcast episode is that there's a lot of doom and gloom around these topics. So I want to focus on the on you know more of the positive side. So what are you most excited about for the future of our planet? Ultimately if we get to a place where we can develop if, if we can reinvest in our world, it's, I mean, it's really sad that it's taken us to, you know, it's taken us destroying the planet to realize that we should try and keep the planet. Um, mm. But ultimately, if we can, um, if we can save it and avoid the worst of the um, kind of potential outcomes, hopefully we will end up in a much better, much fairer place. Um, that would be the really optimistic side of me. Um, realistically, is that going to happen? Not sure. Um, but uh, we will. Uh, but I'm, I can certainly keep my fingers crossed that that's uh, that's where we will end up, and that certainly doesn't mean we shouldn't uh, shouldn't stop fighting for that that ultimate future. Exactly. Yeah, and there's, there's been a lot of talk, and there's a whole big topic on how we cannot possibly like save this planet and move to a really sustainable place without equality. We need to kind of like bring everyone. We can't just like shove some people aside just because there happens to be, you know, a border there and they're from another place. It's like we all have to go to to the same the same place in the same direction. I think that's a that's a really interesting answer. How we need to it needs to be a fairer place. And I think that's kind Absolutely. of what I'm, you know, so passionate interested about is that businesses should exist, you know, because they are sustainable. They're not depleting resources or treating people poorly you know it's mm -hmm. like they should exist the best the top ones that i envision in 50 years will be those who truly walk the talk you know that actually show up and do things and maybe their profit margins are nearly as high as these other companies but they probably shouldn't be right <laughs> it's like we need to you know profit you know it's the triple bottom line right people planet profit it's not just profit it can never be just profit because they will never survive um, in a long absolutely so. absolutely Interesting. Well, I want to wrap up kind of on another another topic that is mm -hmm. more focused a bit on the community piece, since we really work hard at supporting community. And, and I think with all of the topics that we've gone through today, you know, even from like just like the website, um, building a, a sustainable website, you can't do that alone, right? You need to have like all the pieces in place. You need to have the hosting. You need to have, you know, all that support. So I am curious to, to hear how community has supported you on the journey. You know, I know you, you've been in the U.S. for a bit and we're in, you know, different career choices for a bit, but how has community been an integral part of this path for you? So I guess there's maybe community at different points. So I started out the, my kind of path into environmentalism through Extinction Rebellion, 
which I guess is a huge community in and of itself. I'm no longer part of the organization, um, but I guess that was that was an initial start. And so much of their founding principles are around the impact that climate change will have on communities. Um, since actually then moving specifically into sustainable web design, um, one of the biggest communities that I've been a part of is uh, the climateaction.tech community. So they've got a really big Slack group um, that I've been a part of um, and they've got, and I think that was how we connected, wasn't it? So, um, yep. and they've got, they've got really good communities specifically around um, kind of web performance and web design. And so in writing a few of the articles that I've, um, that I've written in the last few months I've had I've been able to kind of bounce ideas off folk within within that um which has been great I guess the other part of this as well is that I'm a huge believer in the kind of open sourcing of information mm. around environmentalism uh, it was it was an idea that I've, I'm absolutely stealing from Tom Greenwood who wrote the uh, who wrote the book on mm. sustainable web design um but one of the things that he was saying is that it's shouldn't be just because you can do sustainable web design doesn't mean that should be your business offering i guess it's not a it's not a it's not a value proposition it's just part of your it's just part of your service and so um when i say kind of doing things open source and and kind of publishing your methodology um i guess that's another part of a community as well as that you're saying uh, this information is not my own it belongs to the rest of the internet community um to do to do with as they will so i guess that's another part of how community has impacted um, my work specifically in this space um, and uh, I guess making it, making it available to others. Yeah, kind of sharing that knowledge and, and mm -hmm. helping everyone to, I guess, lessen the learning curve, right? Absolutely. Wonderful. And how, let's you know, wrap up here. Um, I think we've had some really good information. We'll share all of the um, tools and URLs in the description of the podcast. Cool. But I'd love to wrap up with kind of how our community can help support you. So what would you kind of final call to action for how we could support you on your, your journey and your, and your mission? Make your website more sustainable. Then tell me about it. Um, so, uh, you can, um, if you want to get in touch, um, so you can do so via my agency website. Uh, so that's whitespacers.com. We'll include a link to that, um, below, uh, feel free to send me an email. Um, it's my first name, a full stop. And then my last name at whitespacers.sam.selby at whitespacers.com. Um, and then if you want to connect on climateaction.tech, the Slack group, um, feel free to reach out there as well. Um, I've been part of the kind of greener, greener web performances channel. And then also I've been, I've been writing a few uh, bits on their kind of internal um what's the word internal kind of uh, database and um kind of guides so uh, any of those would be great i would love to hear um how you have made your website more sustainable what you've done um what's worked for you what hasn't uh, and so on and then um yeah let me know wonderful well thank you so much for your time today and we look forward to changing the world to be on sustainable web Love it. Thank you very much, Kelly. Really appreciate the time. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon. Brand Saving the World is an original podcast and Ola Impact production. Our host is Kelly Rogan, and we appreciate all feedback and podcast ideas sent to the email hello at olaimpact.com.